Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Some talk shows think all of their opinions are right. This one, this one knows they are. This is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbury is a no-nonsense, well, maybe a little bit of nonsense, political activist, local government watchdog, and all-around good Hoosier and God-fearing American citizen. Is this guy for real? Holding lawmakers accountable and educating citizens on the importance of participating in their local government with a dab of national and world politics and a little pop culture and maybe some real-life common sense. This is Perception is Reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. This is the fourth episode of the official audio version of Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, the podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, thank you. And please attempt to contact the show via Facebook at Christopher H. Bilbrey. Christopher with a K. That's K-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R. Middle initial H, last name Bilbrey. That's Christopher H. Bilbrey at Facebook. Or you can email me at khbilbrey at gmail.com. Bilbrey is B-I-L-B-R-E-Y. Or you are free to call or text the show at 765-546-9796. Matter of fact, that's how I would prefer for you to contact me. If you're interested in being on the show... Please give me a call and let's talk about what you have to offer the show, what your role is within the local government or your community, whether you're an official or a candidate for office, or maybe you're a business leader or you're a teacher, some sort of educator or some other entity in the community that feels like you have a story to tell and a message to get to the people about how to better their lives and how to better interact with the business aspect of the community and the governmental aspect and the political side. That's what the focus of this show is, and I want to welcome you all. If you're listening for the first time, thank you. For those of you that have been here on the other medium on Facebook Live videos, thank you for coming over to this side of things. I'm able to look through the metrics and see that I'm getting more and more downloads. More and more people are taking the opportunity to listen and That's all because of you. Thank you very much for being a part of the show. Thank you very much for sharing this information. Thank you very much for talking about this behind the scenes to your friends, your family, your coworkers, to other folks that are in and around the community, in whatever community you're in, because that's the beauty of this. Yes, we're going to talk about specific communities, but what we talk about can help you wherever you're at. Whether you're in the southern tip of Indiana, or you're in Ohio, or Kentucky, or Wyoming, or California, the focus of this show is making citizens' lives better, bettering the community, and bettering government 
through citizen involvement. So again, thank you for tuning in, whether you've been here since the beginning or if you've just joined here recently or if this is your first time. You can find this podcast, this audio version of the podcast, Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey at perception.fireside.fm. That is perception.fireside.fm. Again, that's perception.fireside.fm. You can find all new uploads there. We upload to the show on Tuesdays and Saturdays. So every Tuesday and Saturday, there's going to be a new upload a new show, a new focus, and you'll have new content to listen to, to get involved with, and to discuss with others and to share. So it's important that you are kept up to date on when those shows drop. That's why if you go to perception.fireside.fm, you can go there and listen to the newest shows as well as all of the older shows in the audio format. You can listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iCloud, iHeartRadio. But the home for Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey is perception.fireside.fm. Before we get into the show today, I also want to say that we have finally decided we've gotten to the point where we've started to grow enough that it's become important for us to create a Patreon account. Now, if you're not familiar with Patreon, something that I want to say to everybody is this content will always be free. You will never have to pay. You don't have to pay to subscribe. The reason that you'll want to subscribe to the show is so that you are able to get this content and you don't have to think about it. You don't have to search it out. You don't have to wonder if I've released something. You can clearly subscribe, and then you will be notified when new content is released. Of course, you'll always be able to find the links to the shows on Facebook, and I will continue doing Facebook Live versions of the show, a little bit different content. But this specific content, this specific audio version If you subscribe at perception.fireside.fm, then that takes all the work out of it. And all you've got to do is listen, enjoy, maybe not enjoy, debate, discuss, and hopefully come out a little bit better on the back end of it. But Patreon is a, a site where you can, if you're so inclined, donate to the show And that might be a dollar, a one-time donation of a dollar. It might be a monthly donation of a dollar. It might be a one-time donation of $50. It might be a monthly donation of $5. You doing that helps the show grow. It helps me to be able to advertise. It helps me with equipment. It helps me with production quality. And it helps with the amount of guests that we can have on. It helps with advertising to help get better quality guests on, and it's going to make the show better for you. 
I don't look at this as this is me doing something and you guys are just listening. I look at this as a discussion where we're all involved and you're very much a part. So Patreon is www.patreon.com backslash P as in Paul, I-S-R as in Robert, P-I-S-R, Perception is Reality. So check that out. Check out perception.fireside.fm, and uh, let's go ahead and get into it as we talk about governmental roles, the roles that your elected officials have in your communities, be it town, city, county, and how those roles interact, what they're supposed to be doing, what they're not supposed to be doing, and what exactly these positions do. We'll be right back right after this. We've now come to the portion of the show where your concerns, questions, or comments are heard and addressed. This is your time to shine in Perception is Reality's public concerns. All right. So, government. Your local government. What is the deal with government? For those that are just now getting into interacting with the officials, for those that are just now starting to get interested in what's going on in their communities. For those that have been interested for a while but might not really have a grasp on what everybody does and what happens, let's talk a little bit about who everybody is and what everybody does and and what everyone's job is supposed to be. And, and also, importantly, what everybody's job isn't supposed to be. So, specifically here in Indiana... Our form of government is really broken down just in smaller versions of what the bigger government is. So, okay, let's take national government for a second, folks. You have the president, which is the executive branch of the government. You have the House of Representatives, which is the legislative or the lawmaking section of the government. And then you have the Supreme Court, which is the judicial branch of the government. And from way back in school, you recall that we have three branches of government so that there are checks and balances put in place so that no one section of the government is bigger or badder, or or at least in theory, that's the way it's supposed to work, so that there is checks and balances on each other. And then, of course, it's up to us, the voters, to ensure that we put the people in place in those positions to help ensure that those checks and balances remain. So, how does that break down to the state and local levels? Well, in states, you have a governor, which is similar to the president in the fact that that is the executive of the state. The chief executive of each state is the governor, which is similar to the president on the national level. Each state has a House of Representatives and Senators, similar to how we send a senator that represents Indiana or senators that represent Indiana to Washington, D.C. Within each state, you have state senators that you send to your state house, and then you have district congressmen, you have state representatives that you send to the state house, and they are the legislative body there who makes laws. For those of you that really are new to this, legislative body means, you know, they're the lawmakers, the representative body. They're supposed to be 
speaking for the constituents of their districts and districts are made up of varying size areas they really cover the amount of people that's what really matters so you might have a really small district in like say indianapolis but there's a lot of people in that dense area as opposed to district 33 which is made up of randolph county jay county and parts of delaware county and the reason it's that big is because that's how big it has to be to make up the about the same amount of people. And so those people are the legislative body. And then, you know, we have a uh, Indiana Supreme Court, which is the judicial body. And then that breaks down even further on local level, whether you live in a town like Eaton or Albany or Gaston or Lynn or Parker City your little town governments, and then you have cities, and then you have the country area of, of areas the, in the county, the unincorporated area. So, like, for example, Cowan. Cowan is not a town. Cowan, Indiana, which is in Delaware County, is not a town. It's not part of Muncie, and it's just out in the county. So who is in charge of Cowan? the Delaware County government. So let's take a look at this for a moment. So on a town government, you'll have a town board and your town board is made up of three or five or seven people that are all elected and that town board holds a dual role as a unit, as a voting body or as a quorum of voters, meaning if there's three, two of them is a quorum. If there's five, three of them is a quorum. And if there are seven, four of them is a quorum. When a quorum or the whole body is in a public meeting and is acting in a public way, they are the executive body as one enforcing the rules, hiring the town workers, making decisions on who the police are, if the town has police, putting in charge who the town workers are, and making everyday decisions like that. They have a dual role because that body, individually, those town board members, are also representatives of each district, their little areas in the town where they live. They represent a, a, an amount of people. And they also get together and they make the ordinances and pass resolutions. So they are the executive body. Also in towns, you'll have a town clerk, which is responsible for the minutes, keeping record, keeping the, the public record, keeping the records of all the projects that are getting done, and making sure that the bills are getting paid. Now, who approves the bills getting paid? It's back to that fiscal body, the legislative body, the town board. So in a town government is almost one of the governments that's a little bit different than everything else because you don't really have that checks and balances per se that you do in a county or that you would have in a city because you have one board doing almost dual roles. And that's why it's important for people who live in small, small towns to be very involved with what's going on, to be up to date, 
on what should and shouldn't be happening and to go out and vote specifically if there are problems. And that's something that people really have to look into. Okay, taking it a step further into a city. Now, in cities, you have a couple different makeups of cities. By Indiana law, you have three kinds of cities. You have third class, second class, and first class cities. Cities that have 35,000 or less are third class cities. So Winchester is a third class city because we only have 5,000 citizens. The city of Muncie has more than 35,000 citizens, so they are not a third class. That bumps them up into the second class city. Now, a second class city has 35,000 citizens to 599,999 citizens. And then Indianapolis would be a first class city because they have 600,000 citizens or more. So the Indiana Code your IC code, you'll hear people talk about, you'll hear numbers like 36-4-1-1. That's all the codes that is made by the state legislators, and it details everything out. It specifically tells you what each individual elected official should be doing. It tells you what the roles of the cities are, what each city does, Things happen differently in a third-class city than happens in a second-class city or a second and a first, you know. And it goes through there telling you what each of those cities and everything, how everything should work in that city. Now, IC Code also tells you traffic laws. It tells you what's going on with your criminal code. So there's, there's really... A lot there, and that is your friend. Looking up law is as easy as Googling it, and everybody, while you might not be an attorney, you can clearly read the law in black and white. And when it comes to being involved and being active and, and being interested in what's going on, it helps to be able to navigate this stuff. So using your Google machine and looking up Indiana codes, your IC codes, is something that really comes in handy. Moving on from there, talking about cities. In cities, you'll have a mayor. Some cities also have a city manager. Some cities or, or towns will have a, city, a town or city manager, but not a mayor. But you'll also have a city council. Some cities have a city judge which is not a court of record, so used to be anyone could be a city judge. Now they've done a little bit of changing, and if there's an attorney that runs, the attorney is going to be the judge because they want an attorney to be the judge, obviously. That does make sense, but used to in the past, before 2015, there were plenty of city and town courts where the judge of the court was not an attorney. They handled primarily traffic infractions like speeding or seatbelt tickets. Some, like in Yorktown, handled uh, misdemeanors, uh, minor misdemeanors, OWI, possession of marijuana, and things like that. They, they didn't handle felonies, and they didn't handle serious misdemeanors. But not all towns had 
or have a judge and, uh, you know, it just kind of uh, is give and take whether or not, you know, you're going to find that. However, you know, you will find a mayor and you will find a council. And in those positions, the mayor is like the governor or the mayor is like the president in the fact that they are the chief executive of the city. The council can be a five- or seven-person council, or like in Muncie, in a second-class city, it's a nine-person council. And that can be made up in multiple ways. For example, in Winchester, we have a five-person council. We have four districts. The, the, the city is like a square, and it's broken up basically into four boxes, district one, two, three, and four. And you have a council member, a counselor, a representative on the council from each of those districts, councilor from District 1, District 2, District 3, District 4. And then the fifth councilor is an at-large councilor, and they represent the entire city. In Muncie, you have six districts, and then you have three at-large members. And really, that can kind of be broken up how the city deems that it wants to be broken up. Uh, I know that there are some cities where everybody is an at-large member, and uh, you know some people really like that, some people don't, because you could get into a situation where, for example, you could have all of the members representing the council coming from one neighborhood, and you know then you're not really getting proper representation, and you know I could see how that could start to be a problem. So, what does the mayor do? What does the mayor, being the chief executive, do? What's their role? What is the role of the city council? I attended a city council meeting in my hometown in Winchester recently, and a couple of our city council members who had been on the council for a couple terms seemed confused about this very thing. So what does a mayor and a city council do in these cities where they are the elected officials? The mayor, who's the chief executive of the city, is in charge of appointing the city attorney, which is the head of the legal department of the city. The city attorney is supposed to give legal counsel to the mayor, to the city council, to the employees of the town, who may have questions, who may want to stay in the right, who don't want to get into a lawsuit with citizens. They're supposed to be giving information and helping the elected officials and the employees of the community make the right decisions that are on the right side of the law. They are also supposed to attend city council meetings, board of public works meetings, redevelopment commission meetings, and make sure that the elected officials are acting above board and in a manner that complies with Indiana Code, and they're supposed to help with writing the ordinances that the officials want to pass because just because you're a city council member does not mean you're a lawyer. So how can you pass laws? How can you write laws? Well... You, as the city council member or a person in the audience, in the city, a citizen, has an idea for a law or an ordinance or a resolution, and 
you as a council member bring it before the rest of the council in a council meeting or a citizen brings it to a counselor and then it's brought to the council and it's talked through and they talk it through with the city attorney. It goes through a series of votes and if it passes, then it becomes an ordinance and the city attorney is there to help write that up. Now, oftentimes the city attorney might find him or herself at odds because they are appointed by the mayor but they may feel like the council is in the right. And so it might be hard for them to tell the mayor that, or they may feel like they side with the mayor. They feel like they're not giving the council the proper legal guidance. And then in that situation, it is okay for the council to hire outside legal counsel. IC code has made provisions for that. And that's something that a lot of council members don't even know. In larger cities even. So that's something that, that folks really need to know as citizens and as citizens who are involved and then as citizens who are officials or are candidates to become officials, you need to know that, again, the IC code is your friend. Let's take the city of Winchester, for example. You have the mayor who, like Muncie, appoints the police chief, the fire chief, the street superintendent. The same happens in Muncie. The same happens in Anderson. The same happens in Richmond. The same happens in Indianapolis. It's just to varying degrees and different scales. But the mayor, the chief executive, kind of like the president appointing the secretary of state or the president appointing the cabinet, the president appoints those people because he is the chief executive officer, the commander-in-chief. Much that same way, the mayor, being the executive of the city, the chief executive official of the city, appoints those positions. And those positions work at the pleasure of the mayor. So the council, they are there to pass ordinances, pass resolutions. They're there to be the fiscal body, represent their citizens. And then let's talk about budgets for a moment. The mayor, sometimes in conjunction with the clerk or the clerk treasurer, as it's sometimes called in smaller cities, will formulate a budget. So like for this year, 2019, they'll be working on the 2020 budget. And then sometime in the summer... The mayor will present the council with that budget, and there may be a body that oversees that budget process and takes all the information and gathers everything and determines if the mayor's budget is in line with what they feel like the city needs. They will sometimes ask the mayor to rework something. They will strike parts. They will increase other departments. And that information will then be taken back to the full council and it will be voted on. For example, in the city of Winchester, the budget meetings are held in chambers, council chambers, and the entire council's there. 
There are public meetings. Everybody's able to partake in the meetings, listen to what's going on, and hear the back and forth between the department heads saying, we need this much money. This is what we need to operate in 2020. And then over a series of meetings, the council makes the decision. In the city of Muncie, there is a finance committee, which is made up of three council members. So it's not a quorum. They can't vote anything they decide, even if they're on the same page. All three of them do not make a passing vote, so it's they're careful to make that sure that's not a quorum. And they take their recommendations back to the council, and that's how budgets pass. So council is a fiscal body. It's very important, that role, because that's how the city is funded over the course of the year. Besides that... To me, one of the most important roles of a city council or a town board or any type of representative body, like state representatives, United States representatives, senators, is their relationship with their constituents. So if you live in District 6 in any town, Indiana, and your District 6 council member is there, That is who you talk with. That's who you share your concerns with. If you have at-large council members, you can share your concerns with them. Now, I've always looked at it as a citizen of the city. I'll share my concerns with absolutely each and every council member that will possibly listen. And I feel if I were an elected official, if I were a district council member, I would give the floor to any citizen of the city because as that district, yes, you're representing that district, but you are also voting and making decisions that will affect every citizen of the city. Some council members do not feel that way, and that's definitely a shame. That's why the at-large council members are important because they represent everybody in the city. So, Those are good things to know. If you live in District 2, you know you're not going to start off calling your District 4 council member. If you live in District 2, it would be good and smart to call your District 2 council member and then call your at-large council member or members. Past that, you can call other council members. It's never a bad thing to get others on board with what you're saying, to ask questions. Here is the key. If council members don't like being bothered, then they should not be on the council because they are elected officials, elected to be representatives, and they know the game going into it. They know that they're a part of this body that makes decisions, laws, rules, and budgets for the entire city, not just their district. So the role of the council member is... You are the fiscal body, you pass the budget. You are the legislative body, you make the laws and ordinances. Say if there's a street that the traffic goes up and down the street at 40 miles an hour, and there's been a lot of accidents there, or there's been a lot of close calls with pedestrians, the council might make an amendment to that street where they lower the speed from 40 to 25 and they set that they deal with alleyways vacating alleyways putting in alleyways 
they deal with approving claims, and then they deal with public meetings, if there needs to be an appropriation for more money in a situation. That's what the council does. But it's my opinion that the council's greatest role is that representative body. So as a citizen trying to get involved, trying to get into a position where you're asking questions and you're engaged and you're trying to better your government, utilize your relationship with your counselor from your district and every at-large counselor that you have. If you live in a community that has one at-large counselor, then talk with that one at-large counselor. If you live in a community that has three or more, talk with them. Talk with your district counselor. And then go above and beyond talking to other district council members. The most important role they have is listening to the citizens. And if they are voting in ways that you do not agree with, go to the meetings and call them out about it. And if they still don't do right, then vote their asses out during the elections. And that's what your duty is as a citizen. Now, much like the federal government, the national government, there's checks and balances. The mayor can't just go spending all this money without council approval. The council can't fire people. They can't hire the police department. You know, there's there's checks and balances in place, and it's important that the elected officials know their roles, but it's also important that you as citizens know their roles. Also in cities, like I said, you'll have a clerk treasurer, and they handle the paperwork, they handle taking the minutes, they handle the payments for uh, projects and for, in some cases, traffic citations and other small misdemeanors. They are the clerk of the court. They attend all of the meetings. And there's more than just city council meetings. There's board of public works meetings that deal, and public safety, they deal with police and fire, and, and they talk maybe about hiring and, and discipline issues. They deal with projects such as street and other capital projects, sewer lines, and you'll have redevelopment commissions, and you'll have a park board. These are made up different ways. Some of these positions are council members who sit on these committees. Some of them are citizens that are appointed by the council or by the mayor to sit on this committee. And that's why beyond the party of the mayor and beyond the party of the council, this is also important because whoever's in charge in these roles gets to appoint these positions, like who's on the board of public works, who's on the redevelopment commission. So things like that's very important. And it's important that you have an understanding of when those meetings are. One of my biggest gripes is a lot of these meetings happen to be during the daytime. And it almost seems like it's during the daytime, so citizens that work cannot go. And that's something that I will always fight against. And that's something that I'm asking you as a citizen in your community to be vocal about. All meetings should be when the majority of citizens could possibly attend. Period. There is no other excuse to say anything differently than that. In the city of Muncie, you have a building commissioner, which is appointed by the mayor, and you have other little offshoot positions like that, like personnel department, 
you have uh, various departments depending on the size of the city. And that's why who the mayor is in, in cities, the, who the, what the politics of the mayor is at various times really matters. And that's why it's important to understand that stuff. Now, on a county level, like for the unincorporated areas of Randolph County or the unincorporated areas of Delaware County, or Madison County, or, or any other community in Indiana or anywhere else, you will have a county council. And the county council acts very similar to the city council. They oftentimes might be a few more people on the council because they might cover a larger area. Even though there's not necessarily more people, sometimes there are. There's more area. There might be more or differing roadway structures and they have different problems presenting being in the county so the county council handles things much the same way they are representative of the citizens who live in those unincorporated areas now you don't have just one chief executive in the state of indiana of the county like you don't have a mayor of the county you have the county commissioners which is generally made up of three members, so a quorum is two, and you'll have three commissioners that represent the county, and they'll have meetings, and those three commissioners, as a voting body, are the executive body of the county. And so they are similar to the mayor. And again, they have various different roles from the county council and they're in charge of various aspects in the county like the mayor would be in the city they just handle those roles in the county so that's just been a little bit of a breakdown of the government within those communities you'll also have a countywide prosecutor which is voted on by the entire county You'll also have a county sheriff, which is voted on by the entire county. You'll also have county auditor, a county clerk, a county uh, judges. You'll have county uh, coroner's office. They'll handle the investigations of the death. The prosecutors handle prosecuting the criminal cases that the police bring before them. The county judges are your felony and serious misdemeanor uh, courts. They also handle lawsuits. They handle divorces, bankruptcies. You'll have positions like recorder or treasurer or auditor. And all of these positions are very important. They all have their own specific function. And it's all dependent upon who knows who in the county and how the political parties break that up. And that's why it's important for citizens to attend meetings, hear what budgets each of these offices hold, and know who's in charge of these offices and what's getting done. Because you could fight waste, you could fight corruption, simply by paying attention to what's going on, what money's going into these offices, how the money's being spent, because... Keep in mind, it's your tax dollars. You have a right to question. You have a right to know what's going on. You have a right to know who is spending. 
but you have a duty to vote, you have a duty to question, and you have a duty to yourself and to those that gave the ultimate sacrifice for your right to vote. You have a duty to be informed, be active, be involved, and know what's going on to help cast the right decision, the right vote, to make sure that corruption, waste, fraud, abuse is not going on in these communities. In the state of Indiana, if there's a mayor that's just wildly out of control, we do not have a way to impeach the mayor or impeach a commissioner or a prosecutor or a judge. Once an official is elected to their office, the only ways that that official will no longer be the official is one of these ways. They will be voted out at their next election. They will run out of times if there's term limits, like for example, for county clerk, there is a term limit. You only have two times to be clerk. So two four-year periods, same as sheriff. You can only be sheriff two consecutive term periods in a row. So if you're elected sheriff and you serve your four years and you're reelected and you serve four years, you cannot serve a third consecutive term. So that's one way that an official will no longer be in office. They can also be unelected at the next election, which means during their campaign, you can elect somebody else to do their job. And if the incumbent does not win that election, then you have removed them from office. They can resign and step down themselves, at which point whatever party they were, if they're a Republican in office, in the clerk's office, and they step down, the Republican party gets to caucus and fill that spot. If it's a Democrat prosecutor and he's in office and he resigns, the Democrats get the caucus and fill the prosecutor seat. So that's how that's filled. So they can resign. They obviously, if they pass away while they're in office, if you have an official that dies in office, in Winchester we've had that. We've also had an official step down. And in those cases, the parties of those officials were able to caucus and fill their spots. If you have a death, that's the way, obviously. Of course, you'll have an official leave office. Or they are convicted, convicted of a felony. If you have an official that's convicted of a misdemeanor, the day after they're convicted, they're still that elected official. If you have an official that is arrested for a felony, the day after that arrest, that person is still an official. And they will be an official until the conviction goes through and it is conviction of a felony. If they are charged with a felony and the felony is reduced to a misdemeanor or they plead to a misdemeanor, they're still an elected official. The only ways that an official can leave office is by being voted out of office, by resigning, by dying, or by being convicted of a felony. I know that's heartbreaking. Maybe that's something that we need to look into changing, going to our legislators, our state representatives, and talking with them about how to change that. That's something that I've heard lots of folks talk about. 
it would be a difficult task to get done because you're going to have a hard time getting any elected official to agree to some kind of an impeachment or way of throwing an office holder out. They're just that's just the facts of life. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's impossible. And that's the message I want to send here at Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. I want to thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday edition, the fourth episode at Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this show as we went over just a little look at the officials within communities from town government to city government to various types of cities and then county governments and then a little bit about the ways to have an official leave office or uh, otherwise vacate their seat. I want to ask that you help share this episode along with all the others. I am right now working on some interviews for a couple episodes from now. I think that you're all going to enjoy those episodes very much. If you have a topic to discuss, if you want to be a part of the show, if you want to help out in a way that can push the show in a direction to further educate those that are listening on a topic that pertains to what we talk about here, please reach out to me at khbilbury at gmail.com, at Christopher H. Bilbrey on Facebook, or by calling or texting me at 765-546-9796. Perception. Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. New episodes will always appear on Tuesdays and Saturdays at perception.fireside.fm, and you can help donate to the cause, help be a part of this, by going to patreon.com backslash P-I-S-R. You could also be on the show if you want to interview, if you want to talk and have a discussion, have a debate, tell me I'm right about something. More importantly, tell me that I'm wrong. If you want to further an agenda that helps your local citizens and helps those listening and you want to appear on the show, Get a hold of me. I'd love to have you. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for tuning in. And until next time, this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. You've been listening to Perception is Reality. Please share this episode. Share the old episode. Perception.fireside.fm. Thank you all very much for listening. Pass this information out. Like, listen, subscribe, and until next time, this has been Christopher H. Bilbrey of Perception is Reality. Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. You've been listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318 and on Twitter at PISRBilbrey. Email khbilbrey at gmail.com. Or get off your butt and call the show at 765 546 9796. Till next time, remember perception, perception. is. is.
Reality. Reality. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.